Join us now on The Collector Show with Harold Nickel. Hi, and welcome to another edition of The Collector Show. I'm Harold Nickel. Thank you for joining us on another program. Later in the show, we are going to put to rest a story we started on a week ago about a find down in Texas. A man claimed to have found the original recipe for Dr. Pepper. Of course, Dr. Pepper, very popular beverage, particularly in the state of Texas where it was invented. We're going to find out the truth about that recipe and that find when we talk with an expert on Dr. Pepper collectibles, a woman who represents the Dr. Pepper Museum coming up in the interview segment. And later in the found collectible of the week, we talk with Heather Gallegos and we learn about the connection between the pronunciation and spelling of the German word for peppermint and one of the most popular candy collectibles ever coming up later in the show. You won't want to miss either one of those. First, the news. We found another interesting piece of news. This out of the state of North Dakota. This man's name is Dale Sponagle, and he usually doesn't tell people about his heart or his soul or his doorknob collection. And I think the answer is pretty obvious because when you tell people that you love vintage doorknobs and have a basement filled with literally thousands of them stored in custom wooden cases, stacked on metal shelves, and piled in plastic buckets. See what kind of a reaction you get. But he thinks that reaction is wrong. That's the thing about hardware, he said. Mr. Sponagle is a radiologist who lives in Amherst with his wife and his college-aged children. It really reflected the architecture and culture of the period. And there's also the other factor, beauty. Sponagle, who started collecting doorknobs when he bought a $5 box full on a whim during his second year of medical school, talks about antique hardware the way some people talk about fine wine or great paintings. They're like sculptures, he said. They're like works of art. It's the jewelry of the household. Boy, isn't that a neat way of uh, describing collections, that the hardware in your home is like the jewelry. And no surprise, he's not alone in this passion. He's one of some 200 people who are dues-paying members of the Antique Doorknob Collectors of America, a steadily growing national organization which studies and collects vintage doorknobs, according to Alan Jocelyn, who's the treasurer of the group. It's a broad cross-section of American society, said Jocelyn of Knob Aficionados. That's the way they describe themselves, by the way. That's not my, that's not my description. And the new and emerging market is for people who want to outfit their homes with knobs of these kinds. That's why at a store called Buffalo Reuse and other resale stores around the country, old doorknobs and other kinds of old house hardware is very popular. And they go on to say that you can sell an antique glass doorknob for about $40, $50 each. That's a lot for a doorknob, it seems to me. But I guess if you're redecorating an old home and you want something that matches the period of the design, you want to go to a reuse store. And, um, oh, the stores that uh, resell a lot of old uh, housing fixtures are places to find these Habitat for Humanity, interestingly enough, and a lot of communities has such retail stores. You can go in and buy 
old appliances and old home fixtures. So check them out. The company that I work for is a big supporter of Habitat for Humanity. I guess we can say that I work for the Dow Chemical Company. Huge supporters of Habitat for Humanity, donating not just cash, but a lot of our employees volunteer to work on Habitat. And we donate a lot of materials. Uh, Dow Building Solutions does a lot of donations for them. So check that out. And if you want to start a collection that's more than a little unusual, start collecting antique doorknobs. And they have a website, antiquedoorknobs.org. There. An interesting kind of collection. Now here's another one. These people collect belt buckles. They come in thousands of shapes, styles, and sizes. And there's a man named Ed Fuchs who was bitten by the belt buckle bug 30 years ago when he began amassing apparel accessories after his wife bought him a belt buckle as a gift. And today, he has over 1,500. According to Mr. Fuchs, they make a buckle for just about every occasion you can think up. Now, he isn't interested in collecting belt buckles in every category that's manufactured, so he mostly concentrates on ones that have North Dakota ties, which is where he's from. And he has some very rare ones. There's a very rare Tony Lama belt buckle that features the state's seal. But it's also interesting to note that this particular belt buckle is illegal. State law in North Dakota stipulates that the state seal cannot be reproduced for commercial purposes, so these belt buckles were recalled but a few like the one he owns, valued at around $1,000, is still in circulation. He also collects belt buckles that have wildlife themes. And you'll find belt clips for tractor companies, different breeds of cattle, rodeo, and special occasions. And I know uh, I'm acquainted with people who compete in rodeos. And the trophies that they get are typically belt buckles, big ones. And the bigger the better. And it would seem to me if you've got a... <laughs> if you've got a big gut like I do, that a big belt buckle like that would be a little bit painful. But anyway, that's news from the world of collectibles for another week. You'll want to be sure and join us again next week when we unearth more news from the world of collecting. Oh, speaking of that, the new Star Trek movie has started, and I noticed that Burger King has introduced a line of four different glasses. And if you're a Trekkie, or if you want to become one, or if you want to start a new collection, I'd recommend that. And we have no association with Burger King financially, It's, uh, but I intend to go and start collecting those glasses, and I'm going to get two sets, one to use and one to collect. So have that in mind, and I'll bet that when the Terminator movie starts, Terminator Salvation, that there's another line of collectible tie-ins to that show. So I intend to look into those as well. So have an eye open next time you're at Burger King for those Star Trek glasses. Okay, next in the interview segment, we are going to talk about Dr. Pepper collectibles with a representative from the Dr. Pepper Museum, and we are going to put to rest once and for all whether or not the recipe for Dr. Pepper was discovered in a resale shop in Texas. All coming up next on The Collector Show. Thanks for listening to Web Talk Radio. It's the interview segment of The Collector's Show. This week, we are very pleased to be joined by Mary Beth Webster. She is the collections manager at the Dr. Pepper Museum in Waco, Texas. And Mary Beth, welcome to The Collector's Show. Thank you. Thank you 
for having me. We're, we are really glad you're here. And one of the many reasons is that last week we had a news item about a man who claimed to have discovered a notebook about that contained the recipe for Dr. Pepper. And um, the website says he may have something interesting that may have come from the drugstore where Dr. Pepper was invented, but it wasn't actually the recipe. You've received quite a bit of media attention about that this week, have you not? Uh, yeah, it, it was actually last week. It was um, kind of the hot news item, mm-hmm. and um, the museum got a lot of uh, national media attention that we uh, don't get very often, so yeah. we're excited about that. Yeah, and uh, hopefully most of it was positive attention. I think so. I think so. We were, uh, myself and our executive director were quoted in an Associated Press article, and that was pretty much the extent of it, but that article ended up being circulated um, pretty widely. So it was um, just good to get our name out there and let people know we exist and, you know being associated with something interesting being found was uh, very cool. And I know that, of course, we covered it on on our program. And the thing that I bet a lot of people don't know about Dr. Pepper is that it was actually invented in a pharmacy. Tell us more about that. Yes, Dr. Pepper was invented in 1885 in a pharmacy that was known locally as the Old Corner Drug Store mm-hmm. here in Waco. And it's just a few blocks away from uh, where our museum is. It, it's not there anymore, but um, we do know where the location was. And um, But I bet there's a Texas historical marker there. There is. I don't, I don't know if it's the actual, um, the official ones that you see, but it's, it's a city marker that's there because of um, the, the building that it, that contained it was destroyed in the 1953 tornado. Mm-hmm. And there, it's, uh, memorial associated with the tornadoes there, too. Yeah, people who don't travel uh, to Texas may not know that the state of Texas places historical markers at uh, places of historical significance, and you can see them all over the state of Texas. And um, one of the many great things about being from Texas. That's right. And there, there may be a marker there, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if there was. I'm just not 100% sure. But, yeah, there's a whole... Um, segment of, you know, people who just travel around on road trips and they stop at every historical marker they come across. Someday I hope I have time for something like that. But in the meanwhile, we'll um, press ahead with the collector show and all the other stuff I got to do. So let's talk about being a collector of Dr. Pepper memorabilia. You are the collections manager. What does that entail? Well, um, to put it very bluntly, I take care of all the stuff. Okay. Um, we have a very large collection here at the museum, and only a portion of it's out on exhibit. Mm-hmm. And we have, um, we recently moved into a whole separate building that um, part of the building's purpose is to house um, our collection. And we also have a large collection that um, was uh, given to us to kind of be a steward of mm-hmm. from corporate, from um, the Dr. Pepper Company. What kinds of things are in that collection? Um, anything you could even imagine. <laughs> There's so much. <laughs> There's just so many things mm-hmm. that you wouldn't even begin to think were associated with Dr. Pepper. A, a lot of it is 
bottles. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of bottles. We have a lot of cans. Mm-hmm. Um, paper items are a big, big deal. We have a lot of artwork, you know, framed pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I mean, we have, you know, there's clothing, there's toys, there's holiday items, there's photograph signs, you know, tie tacks. I mean, just kind of any little thing you could imagine. <laughs> and I'm going to guess that since there's a museum devoted to the topic, that um, there's a pretty devoted following of Dr. Pepper and Dr. Pepper memorabilia. Fair assumption? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, here at the Dr. Pepper Museum, we are associated with a group called the 1024 Collectors Club. Mm-hmm. And it's a group of very devoted Dr. Pepper collectors that we're lucky enough to um, host here annually for their convention. And um, they, I just think, unlike Coke and Pepsi, this is a group of uh, people who just truly, truly love their Dr. Pepper collectibles, and they are, they kind of live and breathe it, and um, they love coming to the museum and seeing what new things we've pulled out from our collection each year uh, to kind of, we always try to do a new exhibit before they come to showcase some new things for them. Yeah, I want to talk about the membership of that uh, club coming up later on, but at the moment, I want to talk a little bit about the soft drink itself, because it's it's not a cola drink. It's not a lemon-lime drink. And it's, you know, frankly, and I live outside of Texas now, not as popular as it is in the state of Texas. So um, why do you think that is? Because it was invented there? Well, um, we we actually were um, involved with a study a few years ago from UCLA. that they, The whole purpose of their study was to look at um, different products that are kind of household names and study you know, why or um, why their popularity, even though they're nationally or maybe internationally popular, still remains at its peak in the region where it was created. Uh-huh. And Dr. Pepper was a great example of that, and they contacted us, and we gave them some information for their study. And um, it, it's Dr. Pepper is just a very regional, southern thing. Yeah. And you can find it up north sometimes, and you, it is international now, but it's mm-hmm. just not in the same way. I know I can buy it at the you know at the grocery store, but going to a restaurant and order one and yes, not happening. Getting it at the fountain is probably definitely the biggest challenge for most people outside of the South. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it probably it has a lot to do with the early years of the company, and they're you know it, they they really saw it as more of a you know family family business to keep locally homegrown and their their original push wasn't to make it as popular as possibly could be as fast as it possibly could be it was kind of a slower start Mm -hmm. so but it's just interesting that those three soft drinks and i'm gonna bet lots of others all kind of started up around the same time because they were thought of as medicine not as a you know soft drink right right well and you know dr pepper was invented by a pharmacist. Right. And, um, you know, we we say in our tours that he, you know, he his job there was to prescribe and create medi- uh, medicine. Mm-hmm. But um, his hobby was to create more uh, recreational type items that patrons could come in and enjoy. So. Yeah, that's, um, 
I don't know. I just have always been fascinated by the fact that pharmacists were uh, about the business of inventing soft drinks. Now, at the museum, what's the most popular exhibit or the most popular collection that you exhibit year on year? Well, on our on our first floor, we have permanent exhibits, pretty much, and we have a recreation of the old corner drugstore, mm-hmm. and that has an animatronic in it of uh, Dr. Charles Alderton, who's the man who invented Dr. Pepper, mm-hmm. and um, people either really like him and think he's really cool, or some people think he's kind of creepy. Oh, really? Because, so <laughs> I mean, he's, you know, talking to you and moving, and he kind of, like, stops and coughs at one point. Oh, dear. A little unnerving. <laughs> but, I mean, he's, he's a pretty popular exhibit, and then and he's there all the time, and then we have, in the next room, we have um, a lot of bottling equipment and bottles throughout the years and cans throughout the years, and those are kind of things that stay there all the time, and people, you know, know when they come to the museum, they can see those things. But um, on the second floor, we really have a lot of our changing exhibits. And right now, we have two big exhibits out. One of them is of coolers and vending machines. Oh, yeah. Which have been extremely popular. And that was kind of, um, it came about because where that exhibit is used to be our collection storage area. Uh And so when we moved it all over into um, the new building, that opened up that gallery. And when it used to be collection storage, we didn't have anywhere to store the vending machines except for... You know, we we kind of made one of the walls of collection storage glass so mm-hmm. people could see in. And the most popular thing when we came to the museum was people could come and look in the collection at all the vending machines. You know, I actually own a vending machine. It's not a Dr. Pepper machine, but I own one of the old, uh, you know how you open up the door and you pull the bottle out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we own one of those in our basement. And it must be 50 years old, but it works wonderfully. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, if you, if you keep them running and keep them... Uh, you know, operating, they'll they'll last for a really long time. It's the ones that are you know have sat around for so long. Sat outside. I just issues. I hope to goodness nothing ever happens to it because I don't. I'm sure there's no parts for it. You know. Yeah, um, that's difficult. But it looks great, and um, I would, if my wife would hear of it, I would. Um, I'd add a Seven Up vending machine. I'd add a Dr Pepper machine. <laughs> but you know, she draws the line routinely on my uh, on my collecting. Now, where do these items for the museum come from? Do you buy collections from people, or do you just have somebody out scouring the flea markets of North America? No. Well, I wish. That would be a fun part of my job if I just got to go to antique stores and flea would markets. would be fun. <laughs> but actually, we do not have a problem getting stuff. Oh, really? People, people donate stuff to us um, on average probably every day. No kidding. Every day? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I was Telling this to a school group the other day. I mean, people don't come in every day, but we have, you know, some days nothing comes, and then some days, you know, a whole truckload of stuff comes. Sure. So we we are never at a shortage of things that are coming in, and people are very generous. And so I would say the majority of our um, collection was donated. And then if we have a specific thing that we want for an exhibit, um, sometimes we'll we'll buy it if you know it's kind of looking to the future. We bought. Um, several beverage wagons Mm -hmm. a couple years ago that we we sought them out and you know knew we were going to purchase them and we actually restored them in-house oh how much fun um so there's you know only kind of bigger specific things like that are what we what we buy normally we only rely on donations and you said that you went looking for these beverage wagons are we talking about a wagon that gets pulled by a horse yes really yeah, we one of our um, goals for this building, the, the new building that we're in, is um, 
once it's totally renovated, we're going to have a transportation exhibit. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, we, we have in our, in our courtyard right now, if anybody has been to the museum, they'll, they'll know what I'm talking about. It's a um, Dr. Pepper delivery truck. Mm-hmm. And the old, um, it's a mint green color f- from the 50s, and it um, is very popular with people who come in. And it's it was kind of the um, start of this idea of talking about transportation and how Dr. Pepper, you know, moved across the country and became, you know, as transportation kind of progressed, so did the ability to get your product further out. Oh, that's neat. And um, how many of them are there in the museum? Um, We have one truck. It's a 1924 Ford truck Mm -hmm. up on the second floor. Um, In the main museum building right now, we have the truck in the courtyard. And then in storage, we have two. um, We have one late 1800 beverage wagon and early 1900 beverage wagon and then in 1918 um bulldog truck that's neat so those are in storage right now and we're definitely hoping to get those out do they run can enjoy them uh, as quickly as possible do they run or are they just uh frames um no all of the all of the trucks could run if they needed to i guess in in case of a beverage emergency that's Um, and the wagons have been uh, hooked up to horses, I think, one time before for, like, a photo op type situation. Oh, that's so. neat. That's neat. Now, you say that most of the things are donated. What would you say, of all the things that you've seen collected, what's the weirdest Dr. Pepper item donated so far? Oh, my gosh. Um, I would, I don't know. It's, there's. Honestly, the the majority of the things we get are a lot of the same things. Okay. We get a, we get a lot of Baylor bottles. It's really a lot of bottles and things like that. So when, to get something um, that we don't see every day is uh, pretty rare. I don't know. Well, you know, Baylor, of course, is in Waco, uh, Baylor University. Of course, right there in Waco where you guys are. I still have a bottle, a Dr. Pepper bottle from 1978. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, commemorating the University of Houston First Southwest Conference Championship. And it had um, the school logo and the schedule of the games and the results of the outcome. And I still have that from from 1978 when I was a freshman at Houston. So they have done lots of commemorative bottles over oh, the yeah. years. That used to, that, that, the commemorative bottle business used to be really big. They don't do it as much anymore. But then they did one back in, I think it was 2005, when the Lady Bears won the... Um, champ- the basketball championship. I'm going to guess that the people that working at Dr. Pepper, lots of Baylor grads. I'm just going to go on a limb here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, here in our museum, um, almost all of our staff are uh, products of the Dr. Pepper, or the Dr. Pepper, the Baylor University Museum Studies Program. Oh, that's neat. So. That's neat. It's the Collector Show with Harold Nickel. We're talking this week with Mary Beth Webster of the Dr. Pepper Museum in Waco, Texas. Now, We've established that there isn't any one thing weird enough. What are the kinds well, of... Sorry, go ahead. No, I actually kind of thought of a weird thing. Oh, okay, good. We're um, he's not on exhibit right now, and we don't actually own him. He's on loan to us, but we, um, we're working on getting him out on exhibit. We have a life-size horse statue mm-hmm. that is covered in Dr. Pepper bottle caps. Oh, wow. And it is 
tile grouted. The tile grout is red, and so in between the bottle caps is red tile grout. So he's covered from head to toe in tile grout, and his mane and his tail are made of cut-up, curled Dr. Pepper cans. That's pretty unusual. And so the horse used to be a big attraction, and then he kind of started falling apart a little bit. Uh. And we're in the process of building a new home for him. That's neat. So he can go out and exhibit. So that's kind of, and, and actually the weirdest part about it now is he's kind of living in one of our offices. <laughs> so now like when we eat lunch and stuff, he kind of sits there and. Have you named him? Oh, what did we name him? I don't remember what he said. We did. I don't remember what it was. Some, you know, I, I would have guessed Doc, but. There you go. Doc. Um. Maybe we named him Big Red or something. Big Red, so okay. Because uh, Big Red was invented here in Waco, too. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. But, um, um, now let's talk about, we mentioned earlier, or you mentioned earlier, the 10 and 4 Club. How big a club is that? Um, I think we have annually the people who come, we have about 150 to 200 people mm-hmm. who make it to the convention each year. Actual membership, I'm not 100% sure about. It's it's more than that. So, I mean, it's a pretty good-sized group. That's a good crowd. Um, and they come from all over the country. What are the things that they're looking for in, to enhance their Dr. Pepper collections? Is there anything in particular that's hot right now? Well, um, a lot of people have a very specific thing mm-hmm. that they collect, and I um, you know, I would really say that the, the paper items in the earlier, the better, mm-hmm. are a big, uh, popular thing. Like point-of-purchase sale paper items? Yeah, or like um, early prints, lithographs, mm-hmm. things of that nature, festoons. Mm-hmm. Think, you know, it's paper items because those would have deteriorated pretty quickly. Yeah, that's just what I was going to say, that anytime you have a paper collectible that wasn't pressed in a book or between wax paper or something like that. It just really deteriorates in a big, big hurry. So yeah. I can understand why that would be desirable. We have people who specifically collect bottles. Mm-hmm. We have people who specifically collect carriers and crates. Mm-hmm. We have people who specifically collect sugar-free Dr. Pepper or diet Dr. Pepper Wow. Things. In the old days, you could go to the gas station and buy a crate of 24 drinks. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, that was a long time ago. <laughs> Everybody's going to know how old I am now. <laughs> so there's no any one thing. It's just they have their specific area that they focus on, crates or bottles or whatever. Um, you, so, some of them do. Some of them collect more uh, broadly. But, um, you know, when we come, when we all gather for the convention, we have a swap meet mm-hmm. on Saturday. It's usually a Thursday, Friday, and a Saturday. On Saturday, we have a big swap meet, and everybody can um, bring their their things to sell that they found throughout the year and everybody can help add to each other's collection. Now, so. in, in terms of, we talk sometimes on this program about making money with your collection. And Do you think it's possible? I don't think you can make a living at uh, selling Dr. Pepper collectibles. Um, or can you? Is there good money in it? Um, it really, it really depends. You know, people ask me sometimes, you know, how much this thing is worth. And, you know, it really just depends on who's willing to pay for it, right. you know? I mean, if you have somebody who specifically collects one thing and they really, really want that one thing, well, then, you know, they might pay you a lot of money for it. But, I mean, I don't I don't know of any of our collectors. I and mean, a lot of our collectors are maybe retired and this mm-hmm. is kind of, you know, it was their hobby um, as they were working and now that they're retired, they get to do their hobby full-time. 
Um, but, you know, I, I don't think a lot of them live off of um, selling their Dr. Pepper stuff. But okay. Mo- and most, mostly for them, it's a... It's just for fun. They, they love it, and it's for fun, and it's not as much about making money, but it's not to find, you yeah. know. Now, you as the collections manager at the Dr. Pepper Museum, if I were going to go out this weekend and start a Dr. Pepper collection, what do you think the first couple of things I ought to buy are? I think you need to buy a Good for Life bottle. Okay. Which is, uh, those are from the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Mm-hmm. And they have Dr. Pepper Good for Life and slanted script writing. It's embossed mm-hmm. on the front and then a 10 to 4 o'clock on the other side. Oh, okay. And um, those are pretty cool because sometimes they'll have a date stamped on the bottom or maybe where they're from. And um, that that's, the, ten, the Good for Life bottle is a, a pretty... Uh, standard staple of people's collections. Mm-hmm. Um, what else could you could you get? Um, the bottles are definitely the most popular. Um, if you if you did go to Baylor, and like mm-hmm. that, there's tons of commemorative bottles to choose from from any football team or anything like that that uh, you could possibly think of. Okay. Um, Dr Pepper signs, mm-hmm. metal signs. You can pretty you can find those pretty frequently at uh, antique stores, flea markets, things like that. And a really great old metal sign is um, probably from the fifties or sixties is going to be a great first piece for you to get to. Okay, and uh, we're not going to break the bank buying any of this stuff, are we? Nope, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, uh, definitely you could get uh, both of those objects for less than a hundred bucks. So. Okay. Sounds like, um, I don't know if you can hear my dog or not, but it sounds like the paper's here. <laughs> okay, great. So it, let's talk about some more contemporary type of items. Um, if we weren't going to go back and buy the old signs of the own bottles, what are some more modern things that maybe are still on store shelves that we could look for to, to start collecting? Sure. Um, I would say go out and get your Dr. Pepper cherry vanilla items. Oh, really? Okay. they're still out there. We keep hearing different stories, but I think, I think for sure they're discontinuing Dr. Pepper cherry, uh, cherry vanilla Dr. Pepper. I think we just broke news on the collector's show that they're going to discontinue that. So, um, <laughs> collecting listeners, take note. Um, so, you know, like for example, here in uh, Waco, uh, the, the kind of the new product that they're putting out there, which is really delicious, actually, is the new Dr. Pepper cherry, mm-hmm. and uh, we haven't gotten it too much on shelves here because people still have a good stock of, doc- of cherry vanilla Dr. Pepper mm-hmm. that they're just, you know selling before they order the new product. Uh-huh. So we can still find a cherry vanilla Dr. Pepper here on the shelves, but I, I don't think it's going to be around for much longer. It could, I, I could be proven wrong. I never know what they're for sure going to do, but that's been the rumor. So. Any kind of uh, promotional tie-ins that are coming out uh, this summer that uh, you know about we should be on the lookout for? Um. Movie tie-ins or anything like that that Dr. Pepper will be sponsoring? I'm not. I haven't heard anything recently, but the Dr. Pepper Cherry is, they're pushing that really big. And Mm -hmm. I know they're um, really, you know, putting that as more of a kind of younger audience type of product that they're putting out. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the recent commercials with uh, Gene Simmons. I have. And uh, his son are in that. And they're, you know, and it's, you know, maybe younger people don't 
know who Gene Simmons is from being in Kiss, but Gene Simmons is all over TV. Oh, yeah. So they're really targeting um, the reality TV show audience. Maybe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, I remember Kiss from the 70s, but I've also seen that reality show um, that, that he has with his family. So, yeah, he's more recognizable, I guess, to uh, a more modern audience or a younger audience. Are there any events coming up at the museum that uh, we ought to know about, Mary Beth, that you want to tell the audience about? Yes, there are, actually. We, um, next week, are opening our new exhibit on the second floor. Um, and if any, anybody's in the area and is interested, it's going to be all about prototypes and mm-hmm. the process that um, the company goes through to develop logos and bottles and flavors and things like that and kind of a little behind-the-scenes look. And um, that's going to take the place of the diet exhibit that's been up since last summer that's been really popular. So okay. if you haven't gotten to see the diet exhibit, you should come um, check that out before it goes away. Okay. Um, and then the next big event we have coming up is called our Dog Days of Summer. Uh-huh. And it's going to be on August 22nd. And it's a free event for the public. And it's going to be in from 10 in the morning until 2 in the afternoon. Perfect. Um, it's just all about, you know, ice cream and outdoor events and really getting the public in and seeing what the museum's about. Man, free ice cream. And <laughs> that, that sounds, uh, that's a winning combination all by itself. I think there's even an ice cream eating contest. Oh, man. Uh, brain freeze. Oh, gosh, yeah, that's the only downside there is the brain <laughs> freeze. And um, give us your website. Yes, Museum. Dot com. Right. All one, all one word, Dr. One, Pepper Museum. Long, one long word, spell it out, Dr. Pepper Museum, and I'm sure somebody could Google Dr. Pepper Museum and go right to it. Oh, yes. And yes. thank you so much, Mary Beth Webster from the Dr. Pepper Museum in Waco, Texas, for being on The Collector Show this week. Well, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Coming up next on The Collector Show, it's the found collectible of the week. Don't go away. <laughs> Found Collectible of the Week this week with Heather Gallegos. And Heather, welcome. Hi, Harold. Now, what collectible have you found for us? This week we're going to talk about collecting Pez dispensers. Okay, Pez Mm -hmm. is in P-E-Z. That is correct. And tell us about Pez. Well, Pez, the the candies, were originally manufactured in Vienna, Austria, Mm -hmm. Uh in 1927. Okay. There was a confectioner named Edward Haas III. And he invented these little peppermint candies that could be used as an alternative for smoking. No kidding. Absolutely. They were called at that point regulars, and they were um, sold like in a tin similar to Altoids. Oh, okay. But that name Pez, it comes from the German word Pfeffermen. All right. Which is P-F-E-F-F-E-R-M-I-N-Z. I'm not going to try and pronounce it. Yeah, don't. And I probably didn't do it justice either. But the name itself, Pez, comes from the, the first, the middle, and the last letter of that word. Of that word, so, the German word for peppermint. Yeah. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's how it all started. Um, like I said, they were a breath mint or an alternative to smoking. Mm-hmm. But production during um, World War II. Really you didn't light smoke. them up, did you? No. <laughs> <laughs> that might be odd. But um, the production slowed during World War II. 
Mm-hmm. And so they were they moved the business here to the United States, um, and it was located in Connecticut, okay. in Orange, Connecticut. And in 1955, they started putting the heads on the dispensers. So that was like when we, first, if you think about modern day Pez dispensers, yes, yes, the 1955 version when they started doing that is really when you start seeing those character dispensers. Okay, well that's um, I guess over 50 years ago. Absolutely. And um, tell us about what the dispenser looks like because it's very unusual. Well, those original dispensers were like Santa Claus, Mickey Mouse, just fictional characters. Mm-hmm. And um, important to note when you start looking to buy your Pez, early Pez dispensers did not have feet on the bottom to stabilize the dispenser, ah. but modern Pez dispensers do have those feet. So when you're looking to collect, if you're looking for old vintage Pez dispensers, you're mm-hmm. going to want to look for non-footed <laughs> dispensers, and they will be of a much higher value. Okay, it's non-footed or non-feeted. I guess. No base, I guess we could call <laughs> no that. No base, that's okay. right. But since the 1950s, there's been over 550 Pez dispensers that have been manufactured. Different ones. Absolutely. Some interesting ones that I found, like in the 1970s for the um, Bicentennial, the U.S. Bicentennial, Mm -hmm. three historical figures were created. They had Betsy Ross, Daniel Boone, and Paul Revere. Huh. I thought that was kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah. And then you know um, that Orange County Choppers, the... Tuttle family that I, runs that. I, I can honestly say I've never heard of this. Oh, well, there was a show. I, I can't remember what channel it was on. It was on a cable channel. Um, but they, they had the show Orange County Choppers, and they would manufacture a limited edition motorcycle. Oh, okay. Each week on the show. And the Tuttle family is the first family ever that have had Pence dispenser, Pez dispensers made in their likeness. No kidding. Of actual living people. And that was in the year 2006. And um, I think the connection is they are also in Orange, Connecticut. Right. So I think that might be um, the connection and why they were the first family. Well, since I don't ride a motorbike, I, it, it explains why I wouldn't be, you know, familiar yeah. with uh, choppers. Because I, I was when you I heard you say choppers, I thought of teeth. Oh. <laughs> but it's chopper. a motorbike. <laughs> right. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Everybody learns something in the found collectible, even me. That's right. You know, the um, the Simpson family, they have also been memorialized in Pez dispensers as, as well, Harold. Marge, Homer. Yes. That yeah. Simpson family. Yeah, they have the whole family. People who know me know I'm quite devoted to the Simpsons. That's right. I, I may have to go out and find those. Now, one thing I did see, uh, I guess last week I was out doing some shopping, and I saw... The new Star Trek movie characters in Pez form. That's right. They do have them. The original crew members of Pez were actually first released in 2008. Mm-hmm. So the seven seven original crew members, like Dr. Spock, Captain Kirk. Right. Mr. And, Spock, not Doctor. Oh, sorry. It's they, okay. They came out in 2008, but I'm not surprised now with the new movie coming out this summer that they would be also manufacturing. Yeah, one of the things that I talked about in the news segment earlier was the popularity of that movie, mm-hmm. which just opened, I guess, a week ago, or right. two weeks ago, as people are hearing this. Um, a lot of people are going to see it. It's getting good reviews, good. and I think there's going to be a chance to start a Star Trek collection based on the... This new movie? Yeah, the new movie and the new people playing the same roles. Oh, I'm sure it will be. Yeah. Yeah. The Trekkies, they really get into their collectibles, that's for sure. Well, so. yeah. And yeah. I, I'm not ready to call myself a Trekkie, but I really like Star Trek. There you go. So, 
you were saying about Pez dispensers that the way to recognize the older ones mm-hmm. is that it has no base, it has no feet. Right. That was basically anything, any Pez dispenser made before 1987 mm-hmm. probably will not have feet. Okay. And those are going to be much more valuable. All right. You can also look for the patent number on the lower part of the stem. Mm-hmm. Those first two numbers would give you a rough estimate of the year it was made by the patent number. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, there's five different patent numbers that have been issued. So there's 2.6, which would equal about to like the 1950s, like 1952 right. specifically when that patent was issued. 3.4 is the 1968 patent. 3.8 is the 1974 3.9, and then 4.9 is 1990. See, I would have never guessed that Pez dispensers were patented. They are. Uh, intellectual property. Actually, their name, too. The Pez name is a trademark. Oh, yeah. And when you see it on their packaging or their dispensers, it's actually made to look like it's made out of those little candy bricks. And huh. it's, it's um, the way it's done in perspective, it's actually 44 bricks. I think it's something like 14 bricks in the P. And then 15 each in the E and the Z. Oh, wow. Yeah. But there's a lot of places. I mean, if you want to start a collection, you probably are going to want to become an expert on Pez. Yes. Um, There's conventions, and there's some coming up this year. Uh, We have the Northeast Convention coming up in April, Mm -hmm. April 8th through the 10th, in Stanford, Connecticut. And then we also, excuse me, that's of 2010, that's next year. Okay. We've already passed April, obviously. Yeah. But coming up this year, we have June, uh, St. Louis, Missouri, June 18th through the 20th. Right. Cleveland, Ohio, July 16th through the 18th. Mm-hmm. And Bloomington, Minnesota, August 6th through the 8th. And then at the end of the year, if you want to have some nice weather, you could go down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Oh, yeah. November 5th through the 7th. So you could fill up the summer and part of the fall yeah. with Pez conventions. Yes, you could. There's a lot worse ways to spend time. Yeah, I mean, nice little sweet treat, <laughs> you know, different dispensers, meet a bunch of interesting people. That's Lots of things to do. Now, I know a lot of weeks you'll look on uh, the various auction sites about about the things that you're researching for us. Did, were you able to do anything like I that? I did, Harold, and eBay, which is the one I usually use. Right. Um, I did two different searches. When I just searched on Pez dispensers, a general search, there was over a thousand uh, hits that came up. When I refined it down to rare Pez dispensers, mm-hmm. only 31 items came up. Oh, really? And one that your listeners may be interested is going for uh, the original holding bid was three ninety nine, but it's already up to four ninety nine. Isn't not four dollars and ninety nine cents. No, four hundred. Wow. Yeah. It's a blue translucent dispenser from the nineteen fifties. So it has no character head. It is just the dispenser for the little brick candies. That's quite a bit of money. It is. And it's loose. It's not even in its packaging. Now that's another thing worth talking about that we didn't mention is that um if you're gonna you know eat the candy yeah. get two. That is a good thing, but it, you know, with Pez, though, it's not always about the packaging, just to keep that in mind. Okay. It, a lot of times it has more to do with the character and what um, version of that character was made. I know as I was looking, there was a Batman, a mm-hmm. good general Batman, going for around $5. Mm-hmm. There was a very specific Batman with a cape that was going for a lot more. Okay. So, you know, you really want to check those online price guides that are available. There are a few that I found um, at the mypezql.com. Okay. So that would be a good guide to check. There's also the Pez website, pez.com. Mm-hmm. And then there's the pezcollectors.com. They offer a monthly newsletter and price guide rate available through that site. 
I think with um, the summer convention season coming up and the advent of these new movies, not just Star Trek, but other things in popular culture, it might be fun to have a, do a whole show on Pez. I would think so. And I mean, there's so many people out there. There's uh, Rich Bileski, B-Y-L-E-S-K-I. He also does a quarterly newsletter. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of people out there that are experts who've been collecting for so long. And, I mean, I'm just doing, you know, my quick hit on this. So, But there's, there's, I found out so many facts All right. doing this research. Now, also, another thing you usually do for us is look on Amazon. Are there any books about collecting pens? Um, because there were so many guides available online, mm-hmm. I didn't go to Amazon this time to see if there was another book available. But plenty of newsletters. But plenty of newsletters are out there. And like I said, there's so many guides available online, and there's online auctions, too, that I think you could get a really good feel for it, mm-hmm. you know, where your Pez collection may be, the value of it. Yes. But you may not need to go with actually buying a book. Just look online. That's right. You may just be able to utilize your online um, resources. And that's one thing that people who listen to this show all have in common is that you have a computer. That's right. Outstanding. Well, Heather, thank you for introducing us to Pez. You're welcome. Not just delicious, but fun to keep around and collect. <laughs> Next week on The Collector Show, I don't know what we're doing. I haven't had a chance to think, but we will have another show next week, just like we do every week, and Heather will be back. In the meantime, thank you for listening, and keep collecting. If I had a million dollars If I had a million dollars Well, I'd buy you some art Thanks for listening to The Collector's Show. See you next week. If I had a million dollars I'd buy you a